This is The Mediated Minds, a series of podcasted conversations recorded in relation to the 2021 Noorderlicht for the festival. Welcome to the third episode of The Mediated Mind. With me are two members of ARC. I'm not completely sure how to introduce it, but that's maybe a point of departure. Could you please introduce yourself and the collective? Yeah, I think maybe before ourselves, yeah, one of the descriptions of ARC on the website that I really like is it's a stretchy spandex of people, sort of. And <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, you know, depending on the project and uh, what is being done, the collective grows and expands and kind of okay. breathes sort of with it. Yeah. An entity that designs. Definitely, yeah. Okay, and let's go, go with that. And now, <laughs> here, yeah. who you are? Uh, I'm Senka Milutinovic. Um, I started with our kind of as an intern and everything, and now I'm just kind of continuing to work with it. I study graphic design at Wilm de Koning Academy. Now I'm gonna be in my graduating year, uh, soon to be. So that's kind of it. I'm a artist, designer, researcher, and that's pretty much it. I'm Valentin Vogelmann. Um, I studied logic in my master's, um, which logic. is- Logic. which is a combination of philosophy, mathematics, linguistics, and computer science. I studied Where can on one study logic? At the University of Amsterdam. Ah. Wow. But it's actually kind of the only place, that's why I went there. <laughs> um, I focused on cognitive science and machine learning, um, and that's why I'm here in this project. I actually, this is the first time working with ARC, but hopefully not the last. <laughs> no, definitely not the um, last. <laughs> yeah, so I'm responsible for, together with Aaron Line, who kind of studied the same thing as me, responsible for programming the AIs, designing the algorithms, the, the software technical stuff, let's, uh-huh. let's call it. And a bit of hardware here and there, no? A bit of hardware. Yeah, and hardware. Hardware. Hardware? Yeah, yes. so they're doing software and a bit of hardware. Uh-huh. I don't do that really, but... But Aran is doing it. Aran right. is doing yeah. all the hardware, yes. <laughs> I just had a walk through your contribution to the festival, which is still in progress. It wasn't yet interactive as it is going to be. We are recording this in the days before the opening. It is set up in a church and it seems to have a real dialogue with the church, with this particular space. For me, it almost felt like walking through a media religion. Does does that make sense in in relation to how you've been working on this? It's really amazing how, how this came together because I mean, we've been working on this for months now, right? On the concept, on the design, on the design of the algorithms. Actually, so I think one, one part to understand is that when it comes to making, designing and training AI algorithms, things take more time than people, some things take more time than people think and other things take less time than people think. So it's not often really intuitive what takes the much time. That's basically also why when we arrived here, we, we didn't have anything to show. But the AIs had already done a lot of training and there was a lot of design, a lot of, you know, conceptual design and a lot of decision making before that. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of just putting it together. But yeah, to me, it was also amazing how, how, it, how it interacts with the church, um, because, I mean, we've obviously been looking at lots of outcomes, but yeah. it, it's always in like a petri dish. So it's really hard yeah. to tell also how is this gonna how is this gonna interact with the church, but yeah. And in the design process, though, we did conceptually course, yeah. consider the church as a factor, right? right? We considered how people are going to walk through it based on its architecture. We did take into consideration the kind of music that has been 
produce in relation to religion and church spaces in general. So like, let's say one of the things that we have researched was Corispizzati, which is a split choir. Uh, and it's a, a choir that kind of came about and was made uh, precisely because of the architectural space of a specific church. So it required choirs to be very far apart and that was a very specific sound delay that needed to be taken into account. So the choirs would perform in a way that it, they work with the architecture rather than against it and trying to get mm -hmm. the same kind of outcome as you would in like a white cube mm -hmm. um, exhibition space. So that's also one of the things that we were considering when we were yeah, designing the whole piece in relation to the space that it's in rather than opposed to it. Yeah. yeah, which sounds like a very particular type of designing, no? maybe yeah. not what people necessarily have in mind. I would say. Uh, yeah. With the word, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I've been promised that we mm -hmm. will get the music that has been composed for mm -hmm. your installation. Yeah. I propose that here we are going to insert a bit of the music. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also because it's an important part of how it communicates, I've been told. Definitely. So yeah. that way the podcast audience will have a bit of an experience experience-based idea of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bring me my curated consciousness. Bring me my filter bubble. Bring me my Bring me my Click behavior Oh clouds unfurated consciousness Bring me my Bring me my So what did we just hear? We heard uh, part of the music snippets that are being reassembled and rearranged by AI in the interactive piece in the church. Music mm -hmm. snippets. Yeah, I would say music snippets. We've mm -hmm. used several different names for it. <laughs> <laughs> Musical jigsaw or, yeah. Naming is always a funny thing when you do AI stuff on... on, on I think it's also because we try to find common language. Yeah, it's true. Right? Everything true. that might be an apparent term for you might be completely alien for me. And I think that's also an interesting way of how we collaborate. There's a lot of technological convergence going yep. with us as a team yep. of translating what is this 
to you and what is it to me and then everyone understanding each other's yeah. process to the best of our abilities mm-hmm. that's actually one of the main reasons that i really as a, as a, as a machine learning pr- practitioner really cherish working together with artists and, and in an art context because it makes me have to translate my concepts and uh, then i say a term to someone and then they say what does that mean what is that i've never heard this term before and then makes me think oh yeah right not everyone understands what this is yeah. um and so then it gives you it just gives you the chance to reevaluate the concepts that you're dealing with and to just try to put them on a very firm conceptual ground because that's what a machine learning practitioner does any computer scientist does is formalize the world around them right um put yeah. put the world around them into language that a computer can understand and deal with which But is based on zeros and ones Eventually, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm We don't. a complete dummy, so I'm trying to reduce this to, <laughs> to, to something I do know. I've also never seen those ones and zeros that run to the computer, so... it's. I think it's mostly how it's presented in movies for, yeah, the thrill of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's far behind us, obviously, that that yeah. bit was accessible. Or even important to interact with. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, it, so, so, it, so, I think it is indeed the case um, that you can, for instance, at the University of Amsterdam, you can also study AI as a as a as a program, and um, these people are by no means computer scientists. I mean, some people might be offended by what I just said, but um, not in the not in the traditional sense, not in the sense that you might think about when you watch the movie Matrix or something. But they really. You know, they they work with data, so they look at tables, um, they think about what could correlate with what in the real world, um, and then try to come up with yeah, ways of presenting that to the computer. So it's really it's really, really far removed from machine code, from machine language. But presenting that to the computer. Yeah. So they present something to the computer that the computer then presents to the computer then reshapes reshifts um that's a big that's actually a big big branch of ai at this point where um they're doing uh yeah experiments with ge- geometrical and i'm getting off topic <laughs> yeah um yeah so the computer takes in all the data right and it learns that's basically what it does it, it learns to interpret um, it finds an interpretation that has a certain purpose and so we have to define that Okay, let, let's go back a bit yeah. to, to square one, because we haven't yet mentioned the title of your work, true. which That's I true. think is quite important. Yes. No? Yeah. And also it has a history that predates any involvement with Nordlicht for the festival. So maybe we should go to that. Um, yeah. So life as we know it exactly. now. Yeah. Right? Abbreviated as Lucky Now. Um, it started a bit more than a year ago. I believe, uh, and it was first a commissioned film for the Netherlands Film Festival, um, and it kind of tackled what is our new now, sort of, with the amount of screen time we're having, with the online existences that we're experiencing, how are we interacting we, with these algorithms, and how are they shaping our consciousness, and how much are they curating how we think, and all of these things. So that was kind of the start of it. Uh, and it produced, yeah, a beautiful film. And then from there, um, a bit after, sort of the collaboration with uh, the um, festival, yeah. into yeah, an mediated extension. by Pauline Drescher, who is yes. the curator here of the festival, but was exactly. also involved in the film. Yes, festival. yes, right? precisely, because yeah. she, it seemed to me, shared mm-hmm. the a dream of Arc or of Roche. Club, who is yeah. um, well, the, the designer, the studio's the, founder, the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the studio's founder, yeah, um, uh, in in expanding the film, yes, no? exactly. expanding the film to a form that maybe is more appropriate for its content, definitely, yeah, because it just as it was in the beginning, it was a, a beautiful film, uh, but, but then are going from A to exactly. Z. Exactly, and now it is. Uh, it has so much more to so its interaction, and became a audiovisual kind of instrument in a, in and of itself. Because the what was previously just a spectator, so a person 
viewing the film is now a participant in how the piece is being created. Uh, and they walk through, um, yeah, the, the audio and the visuals and they contribute to it. Um, yeah, because by that they also produce the yeah, audio. Yeah. Or at least what is present at that particular moment in time. Yeah. And I think what's kind of important to mention in that as well as this whole notion when you're watching a film, you're technically kind of consuming. Um, but the piece itself is kind of the opposite. It's not about creating new art, sort of. It's kind of anti-capitalist, as in it uses everything that is already there to curate kind of new um, outcomes and new perceptions. How is that anti-capitalist? Because it doesn't produce more new artwork, you know, from scratch, let's say, or from an idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It tries to produce mm -hmm. insights by It curates pre-existing, yeah, exactly. So it curates pre-existing material, yeah, visually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, processing as we yeah. are here. <laughs> so I'm going Valentin see my eye, eyes roll at this, <laughs> at this moment in time. Yeah. <laughs> But which I think uh, has uh, has a very beautiful analogy to how AI actually works, right? What what intelligence is and what it does, right? It doesn't it doesn't actually it doesn't per se create anything new. It just takes what's already there um, and then creates a perspective from it, yeah. right? And yeah. what what is a perspective? That's just a new arrangement, a curation of experiences. Of yeah, so that, that is also this taken. machine learning. So the machine yes. is not. Pro doesn't produce, but it learns, and yeah. and through that transforms. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Exactly. Yes. And curates and chooses and makes decisions. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even though the curating, mm -hmm. I would say, at least in how I interpret <laughs> curating, <laughs> there's a qualitative aspect to it, mm -hmm. a highly subjective qualitative aspect to it that that I don't know if that is part of, of how the machine works and learns. To a degree, yes, because in the process of designing everything, we did input search phrases, mm -hmm. as we call them, from an imaginary users, and they're kind of quite poetic in and of themselves. Uh, they mimic to a degree how a user would search online, so not in full sentences and not uh, with the those of coherence, but rather with all of the connectors to the, and all of these things removed. So it's more kind of condensed poetic terms of what relates to our new normal. So some of it might be events, some of it might be subjects, some of it might be you know, phenomena of sorts. Yeah, so at some point, your mm -hmm. input as humans and what the machine is learning through it becomes so entangled Definitely. that this distinction yeah. that I'm making is no longer really appropriate. Definitely, yes. Yeah, because it also translates all of these terms to how many languages was it? Ten. Ten, yeah. Ten different languages. So Languages it, so as we know them. So that's or the ten most spoken languages in the world. Okay. Yes. Yeah. As, as by Wikipedia. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit difficult to define, actually, but to explain a bit better, and then I think it becomes a bit clearer, um, we 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 came up with these terms. Th these are our terms. We have intentions with them of what we want to present to people, right? Yeah. Of 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 what we think life now is, but then we translate it, and then we submit it to YouTube search engine, and then we get suggestions out. So through this like three step process where machines did the transformation, um, mm. we end up with a video that. Might be a bit far removed from what from the actual from the original intention, right? Um, so we had like some search terms about icebergs melting, for instance. It could be that you get a cat video out. Mm -hmm. That could be, mm -hmm. but my point is that's not random. That's not chance. There was there was some red line somewhere. It might be so complicated that we will never be able to understand it, but there is there's this narrative there, mm -hmm. um, which is maybe also. A necessity to realize about life itself. Yeah. Yeah. In, before we jump to conclusions. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you have in a very sort of natural way, I think, already started to to uh, respond to the question formulated by Tiu and 
about the young yeah. curators in the previous uh, episode of this podcast. But let me read it in full yeah. and then see if you can pick up on it. Their question to you is, what is the role of poetry in talking about AI? In terms of understanding it, thinking about it, and presenting it to an audience. There are multiple layers to it. Now, this question yeah. has like 10 questions. Exactly. Really, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Which is great um, and complicated at the same time. Also, and I think, I think our answer also has multiple layers yeah, to it and as I, well. And I, I think eventually that is because I think that, you know, artificial intelligence is a type of intelligence. If we just leave the artificial out, then we're just at intelligence. And then, and I think that's for everyone to discuss, not just for, for instance, a professional like me. Um, what's the relationship between intelligence and poetry? And then I think it becomes very, very layered and entangled and complex, right? Yeah. But I think that that same complexity kind of carries over to artificial intelligence because with artificial intelligence, we're just trying to model yeah. real intelligence. So I think... And I think in our project also, yes. we could be talking about kind of the external poetry and the internal poetry. Right. So uh -huh. partly what I've mentioned already is with the search phrases, I would say that's kind of the internal poetry of it. So these search phrases are kind of poetry in and of themselves, how they're structured. They're, yeah. Are they accessible for, well, the audience, which is maybe jumping, that's jumping to the end yeah. of the question. But they are. You can see them on multiple like signage on the exhibition, but also on the costumes, the choir oh, costumes. costumes exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're there as well. So one just kind of has to look and explore, and they will find them. Okay. Yeah. So that would be kind of the um, internal uh, poetry used, but also if we talk about as Valentin said, AI, and also if you compare it to just a technical machine like a car engine. Right. Yeah. Then you can just open a hood and view a car engine and understand and it has kind of a goal and it's more solution oriented and this process like poetry that is you know unlike conventional storytelling which is very goal oriented poetry is not it doesn't have a goal it doesn't have a plot a particular one but it's more abstract and it's the same relationship that ai has to a car engine right the car engine you you can, like Senka said, you can open it up and you can, from seeing the parts, you can understand what it does. If you need to bring something to it, no? Uh, if I open a car, who'd I, I, I'm clueless. Yeah, okay, yeah. but let's assume that you have a month of time. An and you just, you just study the car engine for a month. Okay, so I'm the, I'm the learning machine. If you, if you were to do the same thing to the AI, and even if you had a month, I'm fairly sure you, would, you still wouldn't be able to fully understand what it does. The thing is, you have to uh, study the AI because it's an intelligence, you have to study it behaviorally. So the only way to understand it is if you poke it a little bit and then see how it, how it responds, just like with a human, right? Well, that's, that's interesting. I don't know if I've ever thought about intelligence as in relation to behavior. Well, I mean, you know, cognitive scientists, psychologists and neuroscientists haven't figured out human intelligence yet. When we, when we study human intelligence, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. We're not we're not doing the car engine thing. We're not neuroscientists are to some degree of course, but No, and and, and, and since intelligence is not something that is defined in a way that is conclusive and and yeah, satisfactory. Exactly. Yes, exactly. You go in through for instance behavior yes, to get exactly. to get yeah, to yes. intelligence. To try and see to just try and get to input output pairs, right? So you give it something and then you see how it reacts. That's most current definitions of intelligence actually work by just doing that uh, the famous Turing test I'm not going to explain it here but um, famous Turing, uh, the Turing test that, that is a purely behavioral test you don't get to open up the car hood yeah. um, you, you have to you have to f feel see if it if this thing that you have in front of you is, is, is a true intelligence by probing it by have by invoking reactions from it and so Going back to the connection with poetry, we then can use... So then poetry actually becomes a really, really nice and actually quite concise tool to talk about AI. Because we can't talk about it in the same way that we can talk about a car engine, the sum of its parts doesn't describe the whole thing, and it can't. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be true intelligence, almost by definition. That's when we resort to poetry, and I think we as humans, we do that everywhere. We, we use poetry to, to describe love because we don't really understand what love is and what it does to us. It's not like love has a car hood that you can open. 
Yeah. Um, and then so, yeah, it brings it back to this external poetry part. It's also um, how we describe this project, all the texts about it that are in catalogs or in the, you know, intro to the project or throughout the text that is kind of the non-linear narration of the project. All of that is also done purposefully to avoid this technical, cold terminology that is often used with AI and that alienates quite a big portion of people who could be interested in it otherwise. Those are kind of our thoughts on it. Uh I hope that answers their question. Yesterday, when I spoke to (laughs) Tiu and Rawat, we ended based on actually the formulation of their question with an insight for me as poetry having certain affordances in how we deal with the world. And actually you you didn't mention it like that, mm. or not explicitly, but you implied that poetry, for me, is a way to deal with, with the hyper objects, with the wicked yeah, problems of definitely. the world, the, yeah, the things that are too big. Definitely. No? Yeah. That's... That's actually uh, that's actually not the the computer scientist in me saying that that's the philosopher and the linguist because there are certain linguist linguistic uh, theories that that basically say everything's metaphor, so that the boundary between poetry and non poetry if if you if you reduce poetry to metaphor which might be a bit insulting to some poets I would agree. <laughs> If you if you think as of metaphor as one of the main devices in in poetry, let's maybe put it this this way, mm-hmm. then according to these kinds of theories, for instance, uh, there is no sharp boundary between poetry and not poetry, and so I think, yeah, I mean we use language to explain the world, and so I do then think that brings in some kind of a slippery slope, in w- in where metaphor and signification giving meaning generating meaning through right. languages overlap or no longer overlap yeah fair that's that's, that's another a big debate indeed yeah, yeah. <laughs> big kind of and and i would <laughs> like to also get back to this being part of a photo festival a photo yeah. festival that mm. says it departs from photography mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. has a long history with the medium could you say something about the role of photographs or photography or I don't know how how you would pref- which which word you would like to prefer but within the installation and how it contributes to a photo festival yeah I would say in a highly interesting way because yeah of course yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the diplomatic way to start a sentence um, but yeah because it scrapes all of these videos yeah, moving images essentially uh, from the online and it does so based on a sense of urgency related to the state of the world that we're living in. And it essentially curates in such a way to create new connections between them. And I think this is also the moment to mention our one of our biggest kind of research, um, yeah, researching moments is like A.B. Warburg's library mm-hmm. and um, how he organized it. Uh, was based on this neighboring system that is very similar to how AI works. Mm-hmm. Um, and not so the library itself didn't have an A to Z structure as the one that we are sitting in right now, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also where just an airplane flew over and I saw our sound engineer uh, looking troubled. like a disaster happened. <laughs> but so just for the audience, it was just an airplane flying over and yeah, we're not in a soundproof <laughs> studio. We're in a library. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, A library with a, a A to Z structure of yes. books. And it's also not arranged based on genre. So com- comedy or romance or whatnot but more so in a more kind of intuitive matter of what connects which uh, book or content that was in it. So these kind of thematic, quote-unquote, loose-used neighbors. Where yeah. these could also be very personal, right? Exactly. Because intuitive. Yeah. So it, so I think A to Z is a, it's just an, also an ordering that we all agreed on, right? Yeah. Could have been something else, but we all agreed on it. So, so that's why we do it like that. Because when you go to a library, you can assume where you can find things, right? But I think Abby Warburg's library was also meant to 
to be a very personal one, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and a way to think about how we structure these kinds of systems. Yeah. Yeah, and what kind of new knowledge can come by structuring it differently. So in this You have not way. yet used the word photograph. Yeah. You have <laughs> <We're> <laughs> used the word yeah. video. It's a, it's a <laughs> image. Yeah. And, and I know in Abby Warburg, Warburg's uh, uh, library collection, there are photographs. Yeah. Photographs also of all sorts of other images. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But in a sense, yeah, to bring it back, it uses videos that are, in a sense, uh, also some of them very popular. Uh, and these moving images are also then transformed with a filter that is uh, put over it based on the amount of views that it has. So how kind of popular is it? How much is it ingrained in public consciousness? Mm. And then kind of gives a platform to those videos that are less observed. So it doesn't just platform the images that we are constantly bombarded in the digital space anyway or in news outlets in any place that we are witnessing kind of what's happening around us but does kind of the opposite and brings light to kind of the more obscure what's happening around us as well does that kind of answer your question you still didn't get to, f- to yeah, photographs <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. you're sort of is there is yeah. is this but implying that that video equals photograph? I mean, a sequence of moving images. I would say a sequence of photographs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also yeah, and yeah. maybe in the sense. Uh, in the and sense some of them are just one image. Sometimes the the machine right cuts it to a single frame. That's something and that I would have mentioned. Yeah, yeah. is that that these are like may- maybe in the same way that a photograph is. You know, taking out of the context just a slice of the world, life maybe, um, and and I think these these short video snippets because yeah, most of them I think they're an average like seventy frames long, which is nothing, which is three, four, five seconds. In that same way, you get to see something, but you don't know the context of it, um, and it's too short. I mean, okay, in in a photo maybe it's the spatial right the spatial dimension where you where you where you're missing context where you have to come up with your own interpretation of what's going on in yeah, the it's image this, it's this it's the the, the the fragmenting through the frame exactly. and yeah. through the slice of time yeah. exactly both is also happening in video or in film yeah yeah true but so i think i think in in in, in case of our in the case of our snippets maybe the time dimension is the one that that takes the context away let's say because it's too short it's too there's too little action, interpretable action happening to really understand what this is a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think in the same way as, as, as with the photograph, um, you know, they, they, they happen at different scales that we don't influence. Um, so I, when, when we're looking at this, I really do get the sense that um, it's really half-half between the videos. Some you understand, some you get what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I just and bumped some... into Barack Obama, for instance, yeah, exactly. while walking through, which yeah, exactly. is not necessarily an underrepresented person, <laughs> 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 or you know, not not that present in in yeah, our yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. mediated world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then some of them where you might understand what's going on so i just saw one with a bunch of people standing behind a table and some of them are looking on the floor and it's, you're kind of wondering what what's going on in the scene you of course you you understand you could describe it back to someone who, who, who didn't see it but you you couldn't tell what the context was and then some are just random imagery that maybe you don't even understand what what's in the picture mm-hmm. i mean maybe those same not a photographer myself, so I'm just guessing here, but uh, maybe those same sort of levels of understanding something that was taken out of context also apply to a photograph. I think it also just relates to the fact that this is a piece that kind of interprets the new normal through time. So it wouldn't be the same without the element of time if it was just still images hmm. yeah Not and it intervenes the in the maybe the normality of this happening all the time where it is not an not an issue where it is sort of normalized yeah 
because you put a filter over it, because there's the music, because there's well all these <laughs> elements, <laughs> all yeah. these choices that you made in developing the work. No? Yeah. Or I can I can imagine that that is uh, that that is the case. Yeah. 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 Maybe one last final <laughs> aspect is um, the AI doesn't actually really have a concept of time. So it doesn't see the videos as videos, but they're sort of, well, there's 700 dimensional objects. So that that's actually a little fun fact. This Abbey Warburg library, in the case of the AI, has 768 dimensions. Uh, which is a shame that we can't see those. <laughs> but every object in there is just a point. So in the way that the AI interprets structures and deals with these videos, they don't have a temporal dimension. Y yes, we're playing them, we're perceiving them yeah, in time. Yeah, I mean, time, this is where the audience comes in, though, because yeah. f yes, for the audience exactly. it does. Yeah, yeah, no, exa exactly. But so on its own, if there wasn't an observer who lives in time, this piece doesn't have a temporal dimension. Neither does a photograph. <laughs> yeah, this is a bit or a very <laughs> hyper-temporalized. Or that, yes, right. But, but we're now getting to the audience, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. maybe a bit more explicitly. Yeah. Who is the audience imagined? I mean, I think we kind of imagine, when we were thinking about the project, we imagine an audience that doesn't know anything about this hmm. you know this being life as we know it not necessarily no more like um the technical part of it mm -hmm. you know yeah. and how this functions so there was also strong emphasis on this being you know a sensation you know right. an audiovisual experience rather than something that is you know kind of does the same kind of black boxing mechanism and kind of really really not transparent at all mm. to them so this is more of kind of experiencing through it to then get a curiosity about it and you know maybe the research put into it and how these mechanisms work but also so the audience i think the the big point of why they're interacting with the piece is to also be aware that they're an active participant in all this and not just in this piece but on their own computers and all of this, they're attributing to these. Yeah, you can't. Being you can't learned. help yeah. being a contributor right. to it. Exactly. But when seated behind your computer, this is so normalized that you most often Forget will not be aware it. of it. Exactly. While while in this installation, you aim to make us aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a bit more yeah. apparent. Yeah. I think yeah to to like try and try and try and open up the. The, the audience, the visitor. I think that the audience is also, you know, just entities with a lot of different perspectives. And hopefully everyone brings their own perspective. Because we, we have a video stream that is curated, but that is all just taken out of context, I hope that a lot of different people will under uh, will interpret the, the, the imagery that they're seeing very differently. I mean, maybe this is completely trivial to say about, about an exhibition. Maybe this is just true for any exhibition, but... Um, I think here the perspective is really, to us, that was a really important factor. That's also, by the way, why we translated uh, all of the search terms into all of these different languages, because we also wanted, yeah. you know, that was one of our main, like for us, that was really important to, to, to try and get a perspective on life as we know it from as many different perspectives. That is rather inclusive. Yes. Exactly. So, so that includes Chinese? It includes Arabic? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think most most of them people would usually guess. The only maybe one of the few surprising factors is that um, we have Urdu, Bengali, and Hindi, so three la languages from the Indian subcontinent. I think you can all guess why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that that was actually a bit of a problem. One one thing that we struggled a bit with was that French, Portuguese, us, but even Russian to some extent, and of course English are in there because of their colonial status. And so that might do something to how people use it, right? So if someone in Brazil uses Portuguese, they might be doing so with a slightly different cultural background, maybe not even slightly different, um, different intentions, just their setting is different from someone in Portugal. So yeah, these, these are highly distributed languages. That's what I'm trying to get at. People with very different cultures use them. Yeah, so we avoid just the 
Western perspective and a Eurocentric perspective of what is life now. Focusing the themes of Mother Nature, but she's nowhere to see. They call on her to bless the killings and they knows descending on us from the peaks where leaves come reality caught up with us in the middle of our recording in the form of a full hard drive that means that we are now catapulting forward from the previous conversation three days in those three days the installation by ARC Collective was fully built up. The festival just opened. I had a chance to experience Loki now, to activate it and to hear the first installment of the music that you just heard performed here for us for the microphone by Alexandra Bay, composed by Theoniki Rosniak. Thank you so much. <laughs> I heard it in the installation and my first impression of it being so cerebral, so religious was enforced, I have to say. But now I'm back here again with uh, Valentin and Senka who agreed to uh, finishing this off properly with me. So thank you so much for that and for helping me out just now. Where we were cut off was in this complication of trying to be inclusive, trying to mm -hmm. uh, do justice to the plurality of the world and that it's not really possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, could you maybe pick up a bit on that? I think what we, where we continued last time was expanding that from the language to like a reality example of speaking to a Chinese friend who had quite a strong comment on it. Right, that we were trying to use YouTube to get to um, Chinese perspectives, right? Um, because we were scraping YouTube also for, for from Chinese uh, search terms. And then, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us know this, but maybe we're not that aware of it, that people in China don't actually use YouTube that much because it's heavily censored. Um, or not at all, I'm not actually sure. Yeah, I mean, there you also maybe get the problem or not a problem, but an, an, an interesting component is that people across the world also maybe use YouTube in very different ways. And I think, you know, now that we've also built the installation, we've, all of us have been watching countless hours of video <laughs> streams the last few days. I think we're also noticing that the different parts of the world also give you very different kind of video content not just in terms of what it shows, but also in terms of how it's shown, um, in terms of aesthetics as well. And those then make for a very messy video stream, actually. But I guess that's part of the point. Yeah. And also the fact that, I don't know, we'll get a video from Indonesia reporting on Notre Dame being on fire. So this kind of intersection of what right. is the news that's being reported on right. and from where right mm -hmm. so i think that that's a the, factor the, the best example that i saw was someone who's probably from his looks uh east asian maybe chinese native speaker from his accent speaking in in english with a portuguese translation over it um we're seeing a lot of examples where uh yes yeah, a certain part of the world reports about a different part of the world so it's I don't have exact numbers on this, but I feel like it's almost half of half of what we have is actually not, you know, people showing to the world this is what's happening where I am, but showing to the people where they are what's going on over there. Um, and then if we if we have then the the language in mind, is it almost like a contemporary manifestation of Babylon? This installation. Hmm. Sure. It just all of a sudden yeah. that picture appears in my yeah. mind. 
That's such a big statement. I feel reluctant <laughs> to say yes, but yeah, it is no, very I, I monumental understand. in the same way, yeah. though. It it is yeah. in its yeah. uh, and and uh, powering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but maybe as a, maybe as a meeting point, yeah, and like maybe in the sense that you know it it is a physical meeting point, right? If I'm on YouTube, I'm kind of metaphorically, physically right next to you know some Hindi speakers' uh, video, but I'm not gonna find it because I can't search for it because I don't speak the language. So in that sense, like there's some, there is some locality, but mm -hmm. also very, very far awayness, uh, yeah. which, which I think is also quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and I did indeed notice something you already mentioned in the uh, first part of the podcast, that there are all these clues in the installation, but you have to look f for them or be open to them. So uh, indeed, I would I would um, uh, invite everyone who comes, who has a chance to come, to to also engage with the text that is offered in different ways and on different, you know, on screens, on banners, on floor mats. On Definitely. I think this is quite important to get to all these layers that you yes. have been yeah. speaking about yes. and it's really enrich the experience. Yeah. yeah, especially because there's such a like the the screens and the video content and the sound are so overwhelming so then the more kind of graphic elements such as the carpets and the banners and the text written are kind of there to anchor everything and and offer some kind of narrative and solace mm -hmm. and also the the costumes that are in um uh kinetic sculpture in the center next to the final station are supposed to kind of yeah, allude to this presence of humans that, I mean, you don't see in the, you know, beyond <laughs> the screens, but it's sort of alluded by the fabric and the words and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah for me as a, so my normality, mm -hmm. uh, my environment in terms of background is Catholic, every week on Sundays to church. Mm -hmm. So for me, the costumes also very much resonate with what is worn in church, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is worn by the priest, what is worn by uh, the nuns, but colorful and more colorful and with the text. And, but the shapes and maybe also the hanging does for me that. Probably the hanging as well. Yeah. I don't come from that background, so I can't say like entirely except. Like, no, but this just research, underlines yeah. the whole point no, mm -hmm. of, of yeah. access of that we can't help engaging from who we are and and mm -hmm. how we've been brought up and indeed uh, yeah. Yeah. in our physicality next to all the virtual reality and the ai that yeah that learns and communicates with us yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was just having the thought that you know um i mean i'm not religious and to me religion is something where you know people perceive, experience things in the world that they cannot explain, that they don't understand, so then they turn to religion to try and do exactly that. And yeah, maybe maybe to, I think I think what the church and also the costumes, I, I feel that too, can do then is to kind of make you aware that we tend to do that, but in both the, these video streams and maybe the, the internet as a, as a bigger thing and also the AI, Looking for explanation yeah. is a, is a, is a very pointless exercise it, because there is none. Yeah, you're you're not gonna find it. You can look as much as you want, but there's just not. Um, no, this is where the poetry comes in again, also. No? Exactly. Yes. As as not a solution, but a way to deal with. Exactly. The next podcast episode is with Walter Costa, and I asked you to prepare a question for him. Yeah. So our question is kind of twofold, but it mainly concerns the tool used to work with or the tool that he uses to work with in his project um, and we were wondering kind of what would be the outcome if he, he would start to work with AI and that's both in the sense of finding uh, and tracking down in this myriad of Facebook groups all of these you know transactions of the ancient objects yeah, I um, forgot to say that, but yeah, so all this project is <laughs> about yeah. ancient objects and their trafficking, yeah. Yes, exactly. On social media. Yeah, especially because it becomes a closed circuit, right? Then it's m less physical to the public who is not a part of the group. Yeah. yeah, so one would be tracking them down with AI, and another part would be 
because his work kind of now centers around uncovering this and showing it and displaying that this is actually happening. So does he also want to maybe experiment with AI and see if he can disrupt this supply chain and then use AI as kind of like a trolling trickster archetype that helps Mm -hmm. in creating noise and entropy in these groups, but also raising awareness in other spaces that this is happening. Mm-hmm. And you feel AI would offer the best opportunities for that? In, quite a, in quite a lot of opportunities, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually had the opportunity to speak with him in the meantime, and yeah. um, he said to me that he he was a bit weary of, of disrupting, because mainly, mainly because he, he wanted to sort of stay out of it as much as he could to not be complicit in it. Yeah. And so then AI could be a really nice um, sort of bridge actually right mm. because you blame the machine you, yeah because you you can disrupt without being complicit because it's not you who did it but the AI instead yeah well that's a whole other conversation a once of course, well but also in terms of responsibility yeah. of course if you feed the machine who is then responsible yeah. of course of course something a lot of people forget <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i'm i'm so rooted in in reality i guess yeah. and in my own work i you know, I'm also going to have a conversation with the church in my contribution to Nordlicht as an mm-hmm. artist, which is also going to be there at some point in <laughs> Friesland later on. But it's a much smaller church, and I literally cut up papers and I build little dioramas from that. Mm-hmm. It's it's like 180 degrees the other the other way, you know, right. so as as the kind of dialogue you are having with the yeah. the church. I really have enjoyed this encounter. Both so with we. you and with um, with the work, the installation. And uh, yeah, I hope many people will see it. Oh, last thing we should mention is that the starting point with the, the, the music and the mm-hmm. choir and the, you know that kind of engagement with the space, it is going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, I think when we started this, uh, at that time it wasn't yet interactive, but now it is. Mm-hmm. No, but also not just the interactive. The mm-hmm. choir, you the mean? The choir. Oh, yes. Coming. Yes. That was, even yeah. that was not fully confirmed, I think, the previous yeah. time we spoke, and now that. it is. Mm-hmm. So we can announce for all the folks in Groningen, please come to the museum night, the Museum Nacht, September 11th. And then you get to experience Lucky Now with the choir dimension. Yeah not trying to take away any attention from the choir but from working late nights in the in the church we can also say that seeing this at night gives it a whole other experience as well so definitely so even if you come during the museum night not at the moment that the choir is there it's still very a very very or very even better experience. night and choir yeah, <laughs> yeah. i hope this so. is taken notice of and people will make use of the opportunity should be worth it Thank you and enjoy the rest of your presence here in Korea. Thank you, Thank very you much. so much.